Welcome to the HSCT Warriors Podcast, bringing voice to the journeys of HSCT Warriors worldwide. I'm Dr. Jen Stansberry Koenig, or Zen Jen, moderator of meaningful conversations and convener of community. Whether you are or know someone who is battling multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, scleroderma, lupus, or any of the 24 autoimmune diseases that HSCT can halt, or are simply inspired by transformational journeys, you are in the right place. As we continue to grow the HSCT warrior community, illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease, recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression, connect through our shared experiences and advocate for an inclusive society. We are glad you've joined us. Welcome to episode five. Joining us today is Denise from Western North Carolina, who received HSCT on September 12th, 2017 from Dr. Richard Burt at Northwestern Memorial University. So I, before we get started with my questions, I would love to hear more about, well, where you're from and just telling us a little bit more about how you came to find HSCT. Okay. Um, I'm kind of not from anywhere. (laughs) I've lived in so many places. Um, I was born and lived in Southern California until I was 16 years old. And uh, my dad remarried, and my stepmother was from the South. So that's how I ended up in Georgia. Lived in Georgia for about 10 years, then moved to Alabama, lived in Alabama for about 16 years, and left Alabama, and now I'm in Western North Carolina. Uh, And so you were diagnosed... Go ahead. We started the same sentence. You were diagnosed with stiff person syndrome. immediately. 
Wow. Uh, I was like, wait a minute, what do you see? <laughs> you know, I didn't understand because I knew nothing about, you know, the diagnosis that he was about to tell me. And he said, I know what's wrong with you. And um, he said, I suspect you have stiff person syndrome. And I didn't know anything about that. And um, so he said, I'll have to do a lumbar puncture and some blood work. And I send all of my SPS patients blood work to Mayo Clinic. And I said, why? He said, they've got the best laboratory in the country. And they're very familiar with diagnosing um, this particular autoimmune disease. And um, that's what I do. I said, okay. He said, it'll take about 10 days to get the results. By the time it's sent up there and it's analyzed and we get the results back, he said, generally about 10 days. And um, a week later, he called me. He said, I got the results. He said, we're on the right track. You have um, anti-GAT 65 antibodies, the antibody that is produced um, when you have stiff person syndrome, and it's produced because um, um, those antibodies um, are not, excuse me, let me rephrase that, um, GABA, G-A-B-A, is the chemical that um, helps your, all the muscles in your body move smoothly. So these antibodies were attacking GABA and, and, and keeping my, my body from producing GABA and GABA doing its job. So um, when my results came back, I had a very high anti-GAD 65 antibody count, extremely high. Anything over 250 is considered um, to be a diagnosis of SPS. Um, I had 2023. You had plenty, more than you needed. Oh, yes. Yes, I had enough for about five people. <laughs> so, needless to say, when I was diagnosed um, and went home, um, I started digging around on the internet. <laughs> well, yeah, do um, your research. And so is that how you came to find HSCT as an option? Yes, because I spent so much time on the internet. And naturally, we all know that it doesn't matter if you Google on Facebook or whatever, there's tracks you leave behind. And all of a sudden, one day, um, I was on Facebook and I popped a, a pop-up and um, said, you might be interested. And of course, this is many years ago because we know Facebook changes constantly. But um, you might be interested in this um, Facebook page and had HSCT. I was like, HSCT? I immediately looked that uh, up before I went to the, the Facebook page. And, you know, here I'm reading about um, transplanting stem cells. And I'm going, wow. So I joined the Facebook page and, um, and learned so much more. I was just blown away, just absolutely blown away. Sure. And um, then I discovered a couple other Facebook pages that had to do with um, not only my particular autoimmune disease, but, um, of course, other um, HSCT um, aspects. 
compared so compared to the options that your doctor presented you in terms of treatment, how did well, HSCT um, compare to those treatment options? Interestingly, on my third um, appointment with him, he started discussing uh, uh, plasmapheresis. Uh, in the globulin, IBIG. He said, IVIG, plasmapheresis. Um, he said, but I usually start patients on IVIG. But along with that, he said, we're going to start you on a course of um, Valium. And I said, well, Valium's for people that are anxious. I'm not anxious. And then he explained to me how Valium worked on the brain. And Valium is a crossover drug that works in a lot of different other areas. And one of them is, um, with my particular autoimmune disease. He said, your um, cerebellum is inflamed because these um, antibodies are attacking it and we've discovered that Valium um, kind of calms things down. Fascinating. Yeah. And I'm going, okay. He said, but I'm going to warn you. He said, most people, he said, I start out at five milligrams twice a day, but after a couple months, you're going to have to increase your dosage and keep increasing your dosage. And he said, this is because the brain adapts. Of course it does. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. And yeah. And he says, you're, you know, you're not going to feel as good. So we'll, we'll gradually increase. And I said, to what dosage? He said, I've got a couple patients that are up to 90 milligrams a day. Goodness. I said, how do they function? Right. He says, well, one of them rides a, a, a bike around his neighborhood for a mile every morning. And I'm like, how? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, he's just always done it. And he's one of these people that he's determined he's not going to lay around and feel sorry for himself. So he does he swims, he does, you know, any activity he can. And he said, that is important. I am going to tell you that that is important, that you've got to keep moving. Mm. And I'm like, okay. So um, I was just at at that third um, visit, I was just getting into HSCT, and I wasn't going to bring it up to him until I learned more about it. Sure, but and when you so, compare it to staying on Valium for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I also found out what Valium does to you long-term, what it does to your brain long-term. So I'm the type of person, I just, I guess in, in the work that I did, especially in surgery, and I also worked with um, heart patients that went through heart cath, um, procedures don't scare me. And it's because, you know, I've got, I've been able to watch qualified people perform these procedures and um, after I read uh, I read up on um, plasmapheresis, IVIG and all the pros and cons of both and everything and I made the decision that I wasn't going to go down that road and I also felt like since um, I was basically um, in the early stages of my disease although I'm convinced that I had it many years before. It's just that it all of a sudden decided to 
you know, stick its ugly head up. Sure. Um, so I had made up my mind by my fourth or fifth, I forget which one it was, um, visit with him that I was going to bring it up. So um, when that appointment came, I brought it up and I said, I've decided what I, I'm pretty sure what I want to do. And you, know, you told me that I needed to decide if I wanted to try IVIG or plasmapheresis. And I said, I've read up on both of them. I said, but there's a third thing that's called HSCT. How many of your patients have brought this up to you or been through it? And he said, none. <laughs> and I said, seriously? And he said, well, he said, you're a different, different animal. Yeah, you have such a strong medical background. And that's what he said. He said, um, you know, he said, you understand a little bit more than, than my other patients do about what's going on. And he said, I can see how you ran up across this. And he said, I'll be honest with you. I don't know much about it. He said, so tell me. So I told him what I had learned. And, of course, it was all based on Dr. Bird in Chicago, his um, data and um, his study and how long he had been doing HSCT, um, mostly on patients with MS, but he had, you know, treated um, other autoimmune diseases, and I told him which ones, and I said he has a clinical trial going on right now for SBS patients. And he just said, uh, hmm, interesting. And I said, I think that's the road I'm going to go down. I'm going to get a little bit more information, but I'll have an answer for you in my, with my next um, appointment with you. And he just kind of looked at me funny. Rolled his eyes just a little bit. <laughs> Kudos so to he you. At, he, and, and I told, before I walked out, I said, you know, I have learned in this short amount of time since I've found out I've got this disease that I am my, you know, best, I am my best advocate. And it is my responsibility to understand what's going on and what's best for me. And I said, I trust you. I um, have respect for you. And I will listen to you, but we are working together on this. And he said, I agree. And I said, I'll have an answer for you when I come back. And my answer when I came back was, I'm going to have um, stem cell transplant. And I said, I need to know one thing from you. And he said, what's that? I said, I need to know that you support me with this. And his response? And he said, I support you 100%. Wonderful. And, yes, because I had heard all the stories about neurologists telling people they were crazy, that they were going to die, that it was going to kill them, you know, all this sure. neg negativity. Yes. And, um, and I really feel like he said, I'm with you because he knew I'd, I'd done my homework. And you have a strong medical background and yeah. knew the questions to research and the information and how to look at that critically from an objective standpoint 
even though it was to save your own life, right? Or to improve your quality of life beyond being drugged up on Valium for the rest of your life. That's unbelievable to me that that's the solution that is the default answer because HSCT is not a standard of care for people in your condition. Right. It's amazing. And he picked up early on that I am a very assertive person. I'm not, I'm a control freak in some areas of my life, but when it comes to uh, medical issues, I'm no doctor. You know, I have experienced a lot. I've worked in a lot of different areas, but I'm not a doctor, and I, I totally respected, you know, the way he wanted to treat me, but I needed to know that he was open to my desire to go through this special treatment. And right. he was. He said, I'll, he said, I'll support you in any way I can. As you say, you are your own best advocate. Yeah. Kudos to you. So I'm curious to know, why was it important for you to participate in this podcast? Um, because I, I, I want to get the word out. Um, it's, it's, HSCT is, as we all know, only stops progression. It's not a cure. Right. But it is better, I believe, when it comes to side effects and long-term use of other drugs and other treatments. It has, um, for me personally, I saw that um, my side effects would be less. I mean, my roller coaster has not been bad compared sure. to a lot of other people. Wonderful. And I'm almost, I'm almost 67 years old. And, and I fully expected Dr. Burt to turn me down due to my age. But, you know, after going through evaluation, he said, you know, you're pretty healthy for someone your age. And I said, well, I've always been active. Always. Outside. I am an outside person. And um, I said, I have just always been physically active and tried to eat right and, um, you know, take care of myself. And um, he said, well, um, I'm not able to take you um, on study because of you know, there's certain um, inclusions in, um, for the study, and he he draws a line at 60 years old, and at the time I was 65. And um, when he accepted me, and he then he explained what off study was, and and I said, how are you able to do this off study? And he explained to me how the FDA looks at. Um, um, the certain phases they go through with a study, and they allowed him to treat people that didn't um, fully qualify, but based on you know what their issues were, as long as it wasn't a life and death thing. That you know, sure, as long as it was on protocol, mm-hmm. as long yes. as it followed the same protocol that yes. he could treat people on a compassionate care basis off study. Yeah, following the identical protocol of the study. <laughs> yeah. So 
I was, I had another, you know, huge moment in that I was just blown away that he accepted me because I went there thinking, I bet he's just not going to accept me. And it's because I didn't, you know, totally, um, I wasn't totally informed on um, how um, he was running the study. And it was something else that I learned about how the FDA, you know, approves um, uh, physicians that are um, doing um, these types of studies uh, based on their results. You know, they give them the permission to kind of work outside of the box. And so, um, yeah, he accepted me, and I was like, oh, my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> Here we go. Ready to, Here we go. Ready to ride the roller coaster, right? So... I think my question should be, what have been the essential components of your experience from starting HSCT and jumping on that ride to um, being home from the hospital and your experience with recovery? What are, um, what are those essential my, components? Um, I think when anyone goes into this, there are certain things that they need to, in order to reduce the stress of all the logistics of getting to the point of transplant. Um, number one, um, you, you need to have a great support system. Um, I think it's essential in so many different areas of your life when you're going through the transplant process. And, um, you know, whether it's Someone to stay with you when you come back home. Someone to a caregiver while you're at the hospital. And I, I was one of those that needed a caregiver. I know many that did it on their own, um, but I was not able to walk. I was almost in a wheelchair and needed to be, um, you know, um, Northwestern uh, Memorial Hospital is so big, Indeed. and I couldn't walk all over that place. Mm -mm. Um, so uh, I had to use a wheelchair, and I had been, I had gone from, uh, once I was diagnosed, I had gone from that being diagnosed and barely able to walk to using a cane to using a walker and then having to um, get a wheelchair for, you know, anything I'd say that was more than, um, took me more than, 15 minutes to walk. I, I With my walker, I needed a wheelchair. I just couldn't do it any longer than that. So, um, you know, you, you just, you need help in so many different areas. And um, I needed a dog sitter. I needed someone to buy groceries for me. And just the emotional support. Mm. And so for me, for my particular case, um, that was the most important thing, and what, that's the main thing I took away, is if I could give anybody um, advice before they go through this, is make sure you have a strong support system. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. And um, unfortunately, mine was not real strong. Um which caused some stress early on, and I wanted to avoid that. And I really had to 
talk to myself and, you know, knowing that the first couple months of the roller coaster is the hardest and that things should get easier after that. And that's just what I told myself. You know, I had to have the uh, uh, goal and um, just keep focused on that goal. And my goal was, I know I'm going to get better. Hmm. And as each month went by, you know, I could see it. Little things would happen. And, um, you know, today I'm back to using a, a cane just half the time. In fact, I lose my cane constantly. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I'll leave it in a room and it's like, where's my cane? <laughs> ten months out, you're seeing that great of improvement. Yeah, and I think ten months out is amazing because, you know, Dr. Burt warned me. He said, it's going to take 18 months. Uh, he said, I have some patients, it takes them a couple years before they see significant change. I said, okay, I can, as long as I know what to expect, I, I can deal with that. I can be patient. Yeah. And um, so I was fully ready for that. But about my fourth or fifth month, I saw, you know, a significant improvement. And that's when I started, um, decided on my own that I wanted intense physical therapy. And I talked to my neurologist about it. And, of course, Dr. Burt recommended it. Um, but I talked to my neurologist about it and was able to find an excellent physical therapist who had not treated anybody with stiff person syndrome, but uh, did her homework and... Um, she has been absolutely fabulous. I give her all the credit. I mean, I have worked hard. I'll give myself credit for that. Absolutely. But, but um, she pushes me, and she knows what my limits are based on how well I've progressed. And what she's always telling me, remember three months ago, remember four months ago when you couldn't even do this? And I'm like, yeah, I can't believe it. You know, That's tremendous. I'm, I'm leg pressing 140 pounds, and I started out, you know, at like 50. That's and, tremendous. Um, well, it's just great that she's a new addition to your support system. Yes. And she's such a strong support for you. Yes. That's wonderful. And so that, that's the biggest thing that, that, you know, I take away and would advise somebody is be sure you have your ducks in a row of who's going to help you and have a game plan after your um, transplant of when you're going to need physical therapy. I think everybody should do it because, um, you know, it's going to be different. Uh, I guess you'd say the progression is going to be different for everybody. Uh, I mean, I know that I'm ahead of a lot of MS patients who's, um, let's see, it's their EDSS, correct? Correct, which I've learned is very subjective. Uh, yes. Dependent upon the day that you yes. are tested. So I try not to pay attention. I honestly, I don't even know my EDSS score. They've yeah. just never shared it with me because it is so subjective. It's so sub subjective, mm -hmm. yeah. But I guess that's what so many people um, zero in on. But like you said, it depends on the day. And um, But 
I know of people that have been through transplant and that are in their 20s and 30s, and they're not as far ahead as I am. Now, granted, we're talking about two different diseases, MS and... Right. I was going to point out for... At least yeah. for me with MS and attacking the myelin, that lesions, exactly. the lesions the that I have have literally eaten away my brain to where I have black holes. Yes. I, I don't know if those are recoverable. I believe in neuroplasticity. I believe in developing new neural pathways, but I don't know if I'll ever regrow a part of my brain. So... So we are talking about two different diseases. Very. And I'm curious but, to know, like you were mentioning when we were first talking about monitoring your levels of um, even your white blood cell count, your neutrophils, et cetera. What about your GABA levels? Do you monitor those regularly? And is that has that antibody decreased in your system? I have not. And it's because Dr. Burt told me that it's kind of like EDSS, it, although not subjective. An objective because it's been proven by, um, you know, blood tests that are accepted as a standard of care. Um, he he, Dr. Burt said that um, they could come down, but what is the sense of testing them when, um, you know? We have done this transplant, and as long as we see improvement, we know, uh, you know, unlike MS where you go for your um, your six month and your one year and they put you through the MRI and to see if your lesions have increased, decreased, gotten smaller, whatever. Right. Um, they don't do that with SPS patients. Sure. You don't get an MRI. Right. Because it's... You don't have lesions. You don't show anything. <laughs> right. Right. You know. Sure. I, and I know that antibodies can stay in your system for a certain period of time. Um, right. I have Lyme disease as well. In fact, ah. we think that was the trigger, that that was the Catalyst. infection that triggered yeah. my body to respond with MS. And so I have not looked to see if I still have any of those Lyme antibodies remaining. Um, I'm just, I was curious, right. About your GABA levels and if you've ever went back to see if those antibodies remain or if they have been obliterated, right? Because, well, uh, my neurologist said the same thing. He said, there's really no point in testing them, uh, to see, you know, testing to see if your levels have dropped. Uh, he said, as long as you are responding, we, you know, we know which, I remember seeing my bill from Mayo once they ran a test. It's a pretty expensive um, test to run. Of course. Um, so, you know, like I said, um, I think one reason why Dr. Burt does the MRI with um, MS patients is because it is critical to, to see those lesions, whereas with you know, he's he's treated lupus patients, he's treated um, scleroderma patients, um, and, you know, how do you measure them? You know, with, with scleroderma patients, you know, their their issues are, their, you know, they're called, you know, they turn into stone, 
mm-hmm. and most of uh, the scleroderma patients, you know, they go by their skin, and the, and and with all of us, ha- there's this energy level thing. Absolutely, you know, and um, and I've learned that you know, I I I know what my limits are. If I have plans for a day, I have to really pace myself and um, you know decide. Well, if I'm going to do something tomorrow, and I have plans for tomorrow night, I need to. Um, take it easy tomorrow and if I can't do everything I want to do tomorrow that's going to be okay because mm. what I want to do tomorrow night is, is a little bit more important to me so you practice so, acceptance um, yes that's a wonderful lesson in and of itself and you know explaining it to other people at times can be hard Sure. But, and, and it's not to say that I haven't had to cancel plans. Many times I've had to cancel plans. So, um, is there anything I'm curious when you say that it's tough to explain to people, you know, what's going on? Um, is there anything that you have changed your mind about in your journey with HSCT? Anything I've changed my mind about? Um, Yes, because I, I'm still having to use um, handicapped spaces. I can remember before all this happened to me, watching people pull into a handicapped space and they'd get out of their car and they wouldn't be in a wheelchair, they wouldn't be using a cane, they wouldn't be using a walker. It's that hidden aspect that I have changed my mind about because I used to be one of those that thinking, what are they talking in the handicap park? Right. Place for, you know, they don't look like they're sick. Mm-hmm. And people are constantly telling me, oh, you look fabulous. You look so good. And I'm like, well, thank you. But, you know, I'm still having good days and bad days. And trust me, you don't want to be around me on a bad day. Sure. <laughs> Looks are because, one thing. Pardon? Looks are one thing. And they certainly, uh, it's very tough to see the underlying auto yeah. of, of autoimmune disease. That's a big part of my goal with this podcast is to help illuminate that invisibility. So now when I see someone like in the grocery store zipping around on a, you know, basket scooter and they look fine, I just want to ask them so bad. Of course I don't unless they reach out to me. Um, I've made a couple, you know, remarks, like maybe here I am in the grocery store with my walker, which I don't need my walker in the grocery store anymore, but when I was using it, I'd say, um, you know, excuse me, I need to reach and get this, and they would say something like, well, I'll let you go ahead because I'm, I'm in this scooter and you're just in a walker, and that would prompt me to say, um, what kind of problem are you having, you know? And um, it would start a conversation between the two of us. And um, it was, you know, generally fibromyalgia, um, which I think a lot of people blow off, or MS. Um, I met a couple people that... Um, um, I did meet one person that had Lyme disease, 
and, you know, had gone so long being undiagnosed and not treated properly that it affected them neurologically and mm. caused a lot of neuropathy. Yeah. And um, so, uh, you know, I don't ask people straight out, but um, I have so much respect, so much more respect now for people because you, you, you just never know what's going on. And, it's so true. you know, I... I know that, I mean, there's all kinds of things that are abused, but more than likely, if somebody's got a, a handicap sticker hanging on their rearview mirror and they get out and they're walking, it, it's a valid, you know, it's valid. It's it's not something that they've just, you know, because I know what I had to go through to get a handicap card to hang. You know, it, it's different in each state, I've learned. And it's interesting, the qualifiers. Um, and I agree with you 100%. More than likely, the person hanging that decal has an issue that is possibly invisible. And so oh, yeah. extending compassion and understanding is definitely the preferred reaction to judgment. And I often catch those glimpses. Right. People see me get, I'm just turned 40. I have a seven year old daughter and they see me pull into those spots and just the judgment pouring out of their cars or their eyes at me is just unreal to where I don't, it's hard for me to look people in the eye anymore when I'm out and about because I don't want to feel that judgment. And I tell myself, well, as soon as they see me walk, they're going to change their mind. Yeah. But then I don't know that they do in terms of the next time they see someone who appears to not need the decal. Perception is uh, everything. And I love that that has shifted for you through this experience, right? Yeah. um, it's it's made me, even though, you know, being in nursing as long as I was, again, I wasn't exposed to autoimmune diseases. And it just, you know, it just seems like autoimmune diseases have just exploded over the last four or five years. Um, maybe, maybe it seems like it just to me because, you know, that's when it hit me. But, you know, the autoimmune disease... Um, world is just it's it's just um unreal it's uh all the different autoimmune diseases out there and of course politics plays such a big part and big pharma and fda and you know the fact that dr burt has spent 16 years i know it's really technically longer than that but right um, but devoted to this research and this yeah, procedure. And insurance companies refusing to pay. And um, I was fortunate in that Medicare had just kicked down in for me. So Medicare paid, you know. Oh, that's tremendous. Most of, most of mine. And, um, you know, there's tremendous. a lot of people. There's a lot of people that, younger people that are um, Social Security, um, on disability, right? Disability, and of course they have to wait two years, but then they get Medicare, and um, it's been covering so, the procedure. Yeah, 
which is phenomenal uh, for people. I'm still fighting insurance. Yeah. Well, interestingly, um, there's been some aspects of Medicare. Um, I developed the BK virus um, when I was two months out from um, transplant. Oh, wow. Yeah, and um, I had to have IVIG just one time. Um, was a piece of cake, was a cakewalk. Um, but Medicare refused to pay for it. And I'm like, wait a minute. That doesn't make any I sense. Read, I read all kinds of people that have IVIG and Medicare's paid for it for years. Why is it Medicare paying for mine? Mm. And Medicare still can't explain to me why they didn't pay for it. Um, I finally got them to pay for about a third of it, but I'm left with like um, an $11,000 bill. Goodness. I um, hope you continue to fight that. um, You know... That's another thing when you get to this point, and I know you haven't brought this up and you haven't asked me, but there's a point where you kind of get burnout. Don't we, though? <laughs> when you talked earlier about the levels of energy and being mindful about what's coming up and trying to conserve so yes. that you do have the energy to move forward the next day, the last thing we need on our plate is fighting with insurance. I Right. Completely get it, especially after I've been fighting since December of 2016 because my uh, insurer, they approved the procedure as an in-network benefit and then a week later changed their mind. Yeah, it's just, it's, you know. It's neither here nor there. But it yeah. it is a long process. It takes tenacity. It takes patience. And sometimes you do just want to throw your hands up and say, you know what? It's $11,000. I'll just come up with it somehow. Well, and in my case, um, I said, you know, um, this was, it was put to me like this. You know, we we don't send it to a credit bureau or a credit collection agency. And it's not going to affect your credit rating until this particular date. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll pay you so much a month while I'm fighting this so that you can't say that, you know, it's not being paid for. And all the the hospitals and the IVIG um, company that um, did my uh, IVIG treatment, They've all been very nice. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not charged interest or anything. They take payments. And um, so that's what I've had to do while I'm fighting because I do not want it to um, affect, you know, my, my credit. That's and, helpful. That's oh, helpful advice for others to know that they Oh, yes, they absolutely. Because some, a lot of people are under the impression that they can't do it. I have, I think I've read um, in some forums, I don't, forums, I don't know if it was on Facebook or some outside forums or whatever, that a lot of people are under the impression that if you can't pay for it, that um, it's against the law for them to um, report uh, what you owe to the credit bill, that they can't do it for medical bills. 
they can. There's there they absolutely can. And so um I don't think that's a state thing. I think that's just a across the board federal thing that they can do. Um Yeah, I'm not sure. I and I would have to think I, that it also changes, right? Yeah. Well, I just knew that I didn't want it to um, affect my credit and that I could afford to pay a small amount every month while I continue to work with insurance companies and Medicare to, um, you know, take care of what I feel like. They should take care of. Yeah. That's a healthy approach. So So, what has been the cost to other people in your life? on your journey while you've been on this journey with HSCT? Um, my sister was my main caregiver. And interestingly, she has Parkinson's. Mm. She was diagnosed a year before I was. Wow. So the plan was, you know, I was going to take care of her. And then, boom, a year later, I get my diagnosis. Wow. And I, I progressed a lot faster than she did. Sure. Um, she has done very well. And um, she um, lives on a 42-acre farm and maintains all her animals, her, her, you know, all her farm animals and everything, and um, takes sure. care of the upkeep. And I'm convinced that it's that physical exercise required, you know, to have a place like that that's really kept her going. Absolutely, um, I believe the same thing. Yeah. So, but at, in the meantime, she has been my main caretaker, and it has affected her in that um, she thinks differently about um, illness than I do, and a lot of it's because she didn't do what I did for a living for thirty years, you know. Sure. Um, like when she gets. Uh, new medication, I'll say, um, so what's the side effects of that? And she'll go, I don't know, and I don't want to know. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, why don't you want to know? And she says, I just don't want to know. I just want to live my life. If it helps me, you know, if it helps me feel better, then fine, I'll continue to take it. If it doesn't, then, you know, I'll say something to my doctor, but I'm not going to go look it up and see all the side effects and read all that, you know, bad stuff, and she said, you know, that's just the way I am. And when she saw me go through my worst part of having my disease, um, she's very tenderhearted. It was very hard for her. And, you know, here she was um, trying to take care of me, but it stressed me to see how distraught she was. And so I was trying to take care of her too. Oh, wow. So so you really need a strong person in that support circle, you know, that, um, although she was my main person and she, she was able to do so much for me. Um, still, um, it caused stress. It affected her. Yeah. It stressed, her very much which became stress for you and seeing yes. her go through that yes absolutely and um and not only that but other family members who 
weren't around me that much, just didn't totally understand what I was going through and didn't understand why when I first came home, you know, I was sleeping most of the day and was able to sleep all night. And, you know, I was sleep, 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 sleep. And they were like, you need to get up and move around. It's not good for you. You know, it's that typical, you know, you don't totally understand what's going on here. My body's recovering. My body has been through seven rounds of chemo. And granted, that's not as much as cancer patients, but still, my body has been beat up. And I've got to, I've got to let it recover. Mm-hmm. And it's a day by day process. And you find that restorative process on your own at your own pace, and it's not for absolutely. anyone else to judge. Yeah, absolutely. So, what? You offer the advice of having a strong support network, which is so important and I think universal for any autoimmune disease. What about uh, based on your experience with stiff person syndrome to help others suffering from the same autoimmune disease? What other advice might you have for them? Be your own advocate, which I know we've, we've already brought up. Sure. But I think it helps. And do your homework. And talk to other people um, who have chosen not to go through HSCT and talk to people who have. You've, you've got to make your own decision. Nobody else can make it for you. That's great advice for I have I have no regrets. And I have no doubt that I did the best thing for me. That's wonderful to uh-huh. feel so confident with it. Um. Because I think if I hadn't, as fast as I started going downhill after being diagnosed, um, who knows, three, four, five years down the line, I may have been in a nursing home. Trapped. And that's not what I wanted. I, 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 I've, I've got too much to do. I, uh, yeah. Life is know. out there to live. Yes. I'm not ready to give up yet. I've, I've always been a fighter. Kudos to you. In so different areas of my life. Kudos and, to uh, you. So name, can you name a superpower that you gained from going through HSCT? Increased empathy. Um, and like I said, that goes that now when I see somebody park in a handicapped space, I don't judge them. Um, just, you know, what all I have learned from autoimmune diseases, it's just a whole different world. And um, I, I'm, I'm just, I guess my, my superpower is I've become more compassionate. And I think because being in nursing for so long, after a while when you see such, especially when I worked in surgery, when I said, and I worked in a children's hospital, you know, I had to put my nursing armor on when I walked through the door in the mornings, and I had to take it off when I left in the afternoons. I could not take it home with me. And um, so you become hardened, I think, in oh, a way. Sure. Um, but it's to, it, it's true. Not everybody can do that job. No. And um, what attracted me to it, I'll be the first to admit, I am not, my, my skills 
were, were never meant to be a floor nurse. And it's because I needed more action than that. What I tell people a lot is I love blood and guts. <laughs> Which <laughs> takes do. a special kind I of I want to be where the action is. Sure. I was on the I was on the trauma team and you know, I would be on call and you know, twenty minutes later I'd be at the hospital and me and the rest of the team, there was usually about four or five of us would be waiting in the emergency room for whatever trauma was coming in. And we saw from the moment they came through the emergency room and and ran through CT to where the surgeons could see what was going on and then come to surgery. And, you know, it would be hours spent all night long at the hospital. And you just, you can't deal with that, you know, year after year after year without becoming a little bit hardened and and tough you just got to have that tough armor on and so it sounds like you know I developed I developed that and when I retired and now I'm on the other side of the fence and I have really softened up (laughs) well and it sounds like though that that experience and your medical background and being able to put that armor on and equip yourself for showing up on the fly helped you show up to the HSCT experience with a well-informed armor of sorts, right? That you were just ready. Yes. And I think what else it helped me to do is, and even though it was stressful for me, in setting up all the logistics, you know, with, with, you know, your four visits, your evaluation and your, um, your second visit when you go in, you know, they really put you through all the testing and um, then your harvest and then come back for your transplant. Um, I think because I was so um, confident in what I was doing for myself and people that went with me, my sister went with me, half the time and I had to get other friends to go with me the rest of the time. I think they had some doubts and I was kind of having to support them, you know, through my own treatment. Sure. And, and, um, you know, reassure them that, look, I'm going to be okay. And, and I was one of those that I breezed through, um, um, Mobilization and harvest. Mobilization, mm-hmm. yeah. Mobilization. I I didn't have a problem. Wonderful. You know, I have. I didn't have a problem at all. And you know, when I went through the actual um, transplant, I I didn't have a problem at all. Wonderful. And you know, I, and one of my friends that stayed with me during transplant, she said, "Well, I expect you'd be puking your guts out, and you know, just to be like, you know, a." Uh, a uh, uh, ragamuffin, you know, just, you sure. know, not, and I was like, the whole time I went through transplant, I was like, what else can I eat? Well, that's, that's <laughs> wonderful that you were able to keep your nausea under control. And did you yeah. take a proactive approach in terms of trying to walk the hallways or did, like, I had a, I had a lot of problem walking the hallways mm-hmm. and 
I realized, because Dr. Burt would come in, and he said, have you been out of bed today? And I said, Dr. Burt, I'm not an MS patient. Mm-hmm. I said, I didn't walk in here on my own. And I said, I've had four rounds of chemo, and I still got two more to go. I said, I'm, I'm feeling it. Now, I'm fine lying here, and I can shuffle around in the room some. I said, but when it comes to walk, walking down the halls, I said, I need a lot of help because, uh, you know, there were some people, that some of those MS patients, I was very envious of them. They were making like five and six circles around, you know, that floor. And I was lucky if I could make two and that sure. was pushing it, it too. Well, I'm an MS patient and I was lucky to make three laps. I think that was the highest I got. I practiced on the stairs a lot. Um, I didn't even attempt the stairs. It was all I could do to walk, to walk around. Yeah. Um, you know, the floor, and... Um, it's a lot. He, he was a little bit concerned with that, you know, and I just tried to reassure him. I said, look, I'm not the type to lay around in the bed all the time, but I said, I listen to my body, and if I am not going to get out there and fall, I am not falling. I, had, I have fallen, over the last four years, I've fallen nine times, and I'm so lucky that I have not broken a hip, and that's my, my greatest fear. Mm, sure. Of of falling and breaking my hip because at my age, that's like a very, you know, bad thing to happen. Absolutely. Um, And, um, so that's one thing that, um, I'm very careful with, you know, if, if I'm just really tired, I just don't push myself because I know the potential for me to fall, you know, is, is very high. So, um, so can you talk about anything else that's contributed to your success? Like being cautious and knowing your limits, certainly I'm sure is contributing to your continued recovery and strengthening. Is there anything else that might be contributing to success? Um, I have a dog. (laughs) What kind of dog? uh, Schnauzer. Okay. Mini Schnauzer. Um, and he's older, he's 11 years old and it does make such a difference because I came home and he wasn't with me the first six weeks I got after I got home and I called my pet sitter and I said, I'm ready. And I said, I've, I've talked to Dr. Bird. I've talked to my nurse practitioner. They said, it's fine. It's fine. Go ahead and, you know, let him come home. And, um, it made a world of difference. For one thing, um, I had to get up and feed him. Mm-hmm. I had to let him outside. It gave me purpose. There you go. When, um, you know, I was re- really questioning those first couple months, you know, uh, how much should I push myself? Well, I knew I needed to save my energy to take care of him. And just the fact that I had something to take care of, that I had a responsibility. Um, it helped me emotionally, mentally, and physically. That's beautiful. Thank so, you. Um, so that's my story. That's a beautiful story. I love hearing Thank more you. about your story because I have seen pieces of it on the interwebs, if you will, and social media. And it's another goal 
for me with this podcast is just getting to hear more of the story. There's only so much you can learn or share in those quick snapshots online. And this is for me and hopefully our listeners, such a more valuable, enriching way to convey the journey of HSCT. Yes, I agree. So is there anything that you're grateful for um, that has gone unspoken? I think I'm grateful for. Um, for those people in, in my circle of support, for those really strong folks that really came through for me, I'm so grateful for them. Um, and I've told them, you know, I've, I've let them know that, you know, I, I wouldn't have made it this far if it wasn't for you. Um, you know, you were there not the whole time, but you were there when it was most important and you, you know, you were the strongest and, um, I'm just, I'm grateful for those people. I'm, I'm grateful that being the oldest child of three, and there was 10 years difference in, in me and my siblings, that I had this, you know, go get them attitude. And, um, I've just always been a go getter. And, you know, if I want something, I, I go and get it. And um, a lot of people are shocked that I didn't, you know, go through um, any kind of treatment or medications, um, DMDs. I didn't, you know, everything he tried to throw at me, I said, nope, I've read about that. Um, I'm just not going down that road. Um I'm going to go with HSCT and um, not that there, you know, I don't expect it to um, be without um, any issues, but at least I'm, I'm aware of the issues and I know how I'm going to have to react to them. And it's just, I, I, I'm just, it's just me, you know, I've just always taken control and, and gone with it. And always listen to my gut. It's such a great um, lesson, I think, in terms of building that confidence through research, knowing what will work best for you and having the confidence to go out and claim it. Yeah, and it's not that I've never failed and that I've never made a mistake because I have. But how do you learn? How do you learn and and pick up the pieces and go on without making those mistakes. And, um, you know, I do think the older you get, the smarter you get. <laughs> Hopefully. Yes. If you're learning. Yeah. And, um, you know, who knows? I may not have made this decision in my twenties or thirties, but it's because I didn't have the knowledge or the experience in my twenties and thirties that I do now. So, um, I think you're a great model for anyone who's considering this procedure in terms well, of, thank you. I know that we're all different. Absolutely. And I, know, and I know that we all, um, you know, I read about 
there are so many people that I read about that are out there suffering with SPS, and, and yes. I just want to jump in there and say, why don't you do your homework and find out about HSCT? It's not for everybody, but it's an option for you. And that will end you your know? suffering. Yes. Well, I say that, but it ends progression. And yes. so that's, that's... That's one thing you have to always remember to say, that it's not a cure. Right. It just stops progression. I just... And the rest is up to you. Right, because I think people... It's not that they wait so long until they get so bad. But if we can keep reminding people that all this does is halt progression. And so you want it to occur sooner than later before you have progressed to the point where you do continue suffering. Yes, I'm convinced that's why I did so well even at my ages because I made up my mind early on that I wasn't going to try IVIG, plasmapheresis, DMDs. I'm not going through Valium. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I just, you know, I made up my mind that, no, I'm going for the big guns. And like I said, it was just my gut feeling. I'm going for the big guns, and I'm not going through all that stuff. And, you know, I'm not spending... Um, you know, a week on IVIG and two weeks to get over it and feeling good for a week and then going through it all over again. I'm I'm just, I'm not going down that road. It sounds like you made the best, greatest decision for yourself in your situation. For me, yes. Thank you. Well, thank you for modeling that for everyone. And I think that's important. You have to really, you know... Do your homework. Be your your own advocate and um, make that decision. And be confident um, in that decision moving forward yeah. so that you can embrace all aspects and roll with the punches when they come and know that, as you said, I'm going to get better. Yes, this too will pass. Thank you so much for sharing your story, your snowflake, your unique experience with stiff person syndrome and with HSCT. Thank you for helping to model the importance of being informed and having confidence to know that you are making the best decision for yourself. You have offered so many great reminders and I just appreciate you participating in this podcast. It's such a great honor to hear your story and be able to share it with others. Thank you. Hopefully someday soon we will see HSCT become the standard of care for your autoimmune disease and mine and all the others that it can help to halt. Yes. It's really been an honor talking with you, Denise. I've enjoyed the conversation so much. I hope you, um, I wish you continued health and well-being and um i hope you continue to share share your inspiration and light with others be sure to visit our website hsctwarriorspodcast.com where you can find notes from today's episode submit ideas or feedback, and access the latest HSCT research and resources. Special thanks to musical genius Bill Allitzhauser for sharing his superpowers to create the soundtrack, 
edit, and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Take a moment to leave a review because your feedback will help to develop even better episodes and your ratings will help other people find the show. Tune in next Wednesday for a brand new episode highlighting another HSCT warrior. Until then, be a snowflake and embrace your superpowers. Be kind, be well.